Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com, hitting you with a solo pod today. Going to be recapping another heartbreaking Brooklyn Nets loss last night, 129-125 to the Milwaukee Bucks at Barclays Center. Going to be running through the roster, some of what we saw in that game, also some larger overarching themes from what we've seen from the Nets the past few games, also dropped a close game while shorthanded Saturday in Brooklyn against the league-leading Boston Celtics. And I wanted to start this pod off by saying, when assessing the Nets' play in these past few games, before I dive into this Milwaukee game, it's the NBA, you're not in the business of moral victories. A lot of people don't want to hear about that, coaches, players, fans. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out and didn't emphasize that the Brooklyn Nets, despite losing some of these games and despite having a 3-4 and record right now, look like a pretty good basketball team and look like a team that can hang with some of the upper echelon teams of the league while shorthanded. They don't have Nick Claxton or Cam Johnson right now. And this is a game last night against Milwaukee that they led for a large portion of the game. There was a decent portion of the game where they looked like the better team. It was a very even game, which I'll expand on later. And, you know, this is without two of Brooklyn's top players. So, this is a team pivoting to a new era. This is a team with a lot of moving pieces. This is a team that really you didn't know what their identity was going to be. And that has completely flipped on its head. People thought that this Nets team was going to be a defensive team. They were going to struggle offensively. The Nets are 25th in defensive rating, but they're seventh in offensive rating. And they're also sixth in defensive rebounding percentage this season after ranking 28th last season and doing that without Nick Claxton and Cam Johnson alive. So all things that everybody, it's including me and other people on the Nets beat. Yeah, we all saw all of this coming. But just, you know, talking about the way the Nets have been playing, I think it's encouraging. I think from both a macro team level and also looking at individual performances, there's things that are very positive and that I think you can't help but walk away feeling good about early on in the season despite having a losing record. So I talked about the macro. I also just said individual. When looking at this Milwaukee game, I think you come away feeling extremely good individually about two players and really a new lead scoring duo for Brooklyn. And that is none other than Cam Thomas and Mikhail Bridges, who carried the Nets on their back in this game. Cam Thomas had arguably the best game of his career, 45 points, four rebounds, three assists, 17 of 33 from the field, six of 16 from three, five of six from the free throw line was unbelievable, was doing it from all three levels. And really for a large portion of the game, looked like the best player on the floor in a game that featured Giannis and Tenacupo. Then talking about Mikhail Bridges, 31 points, five rebounds, four assists, 12 of 21 from the field, only one of five from three, but six of seven from the free throw line. And, you know, Cam and Mikhail were the Nets offense. And that is really the theme that's emerging. The talk all season with this Nets team or all offseason leading into the year was, are they going to be able to produce in a half court offense? Who is going to close late in games when things slow down? Are they going to have enough shot creation? And it's really the pack is starting to establish itself. And the most surprising thing is Cam Thomas. You know, not surprising from a scoring perspective, but surprising from there's a real argument of is Cam Thomas the Nets' best player? I think there's no question that he's their best scorer, and he's also their lead offensive threat right now. And that's something heading into the season I don't think many people saw coming. I don't think Jock Vaughn saw it coming. And some injuries and a 
36-point performance off the bench from Cam Thomas in the first game of the season kind of forced his hand and placed him into the lineup, not saying that Jock didn't expect Cam to take on a larger role, that the Nets brass didn't think he could be this kind of player, just thinking it may be a little bit of an expedited timeline and process given how some of the injuries and what Cam has just done straight from the start. I mean, for the season, Cam Thomas now is averaging 28.7 points per game on 48% shooting. I mean, he is elite by scoring standards right now. He's third in the league at 28.3 points per game. That's third in the league amongst players 25 or younger. That's first in the league amongst players 22 or younger. I mean, we're talking, I put a tweet out earlier today. He's in the category of Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum are leading that uh, list of 25 and under, but then it's Cam Thomas ahead of Anthony Edwards, Shai Gilgis Alexander, Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Halliburton, Cade Cunningham. I mean, elite scorers, elite offensive guys that we're talking about being stars, if not potential superstars. Cam is in that category right now. And I also tweeted out with that list that Cam is third on. He is the youngest person on that list. He just turned 22 less than a month ago. He's also the least experienced person on that list by far. It's not even really close. Cade Cunningham is the only person who's even close because as you Nets fans know, Cam didn't play a lot. And if you're looking at the players 23 and under who are really considered elite scorers, Cam has 12 starts. He's played just over 2,300 minutes. All of these guys are pushing over 100 into 200 starts, and most of them have played 5,000 to 7,000 minutes. So we're talking about guys who have played three times as much basketball as Cam Thomas has in this league, and he's up there, and it's really only going to get better. I mean – the talk about Cam is obviously offensively, it was he can score. Can he be a distributor? Can he read defenses? Can he be a guy late in games that gets others involved that isn't just this microwave scoring guard that can make people better? And when you're talking about can he grow in that area, I think it's it would be you'd be missing a large point not to recognize that he's played a third as much as these other guys that are, you know, in that tier of where he's at scoring right now. Experience goes a long way in the NBA, and Cam Thomas doesn't have a lot of it yet. He's right up there with those guys in terms of scoring capability. So if you're the Nets, I think that's at, that's extremely encouraging. And, you know, getting back to just this game, I said Cam and Mikhail lead. It was Cam and Mikhail for the whole offense. They scored and assisted on, I think, 93 of Brooklyn's 125 points. They combined for 76 points themselves. And most impressive part, they only had two turnovers combined between the two of them. I mean, we're talking about Cam Thomas is a guy who had the ball in his hands for a very large portion of this game took 33 shots, scored 45 points, had one turnover. I mean, that's growth, that's poise, that's playing with pace. He's able to do it from all areas on the floor. And if you're talking about both Cam and Mikhail, I think the encouraging part about both of them is that they really don't have their three their three point shot going yet. I mean, Mikhail, I mean, uh, Cam hit five in this first half, but in the second half, he was one of six. Mikhail is one of five from three in this game. If you take away garbage time, I mean, Cam is shooting around 30% from the season. If you take away uh, garbage time in the last Nets-Boston game for McHale, he's probably in the low 30s. So they don't have these things going, but yet their true shooting is pushing up towards mid-50s into 60%. So very encouraging things from them there. And I think their ability to score at all three levels, there aren't many guys on this team who can do that. So to have those two guys who are gaining experience and being able to score from all areas on the floor, being able to do it down the stretch of a game, a really, really 
you know, encouraging thing. And just talking about the end of this Nets game, what happened, the Bucs just, you know, they just made one more shot than the Nets. They made one more play. This was very close. The Nets fell behind by nine early in the fourth quarter. They fought back to take a three-point lead with five and a half minutes remaining. And from that point on, Giannis, Damian Lillard, and Chris Middleton combined to score 18 points on five of eight shooting from the field, seven of eight from the free throw line. The Nets got the ball back tied with two and a half minutes remaining. And then the following sequence, Cam Thomas misses is a step back three, which it's going to happen. But then Giannis goes in, he spins for an uncondested dunk. Chris Middleton hits a tough midi on their next possession. The Nets have a miscommunication and cut Giannis loose on a pick and roll on the following possession after that. So that's three straight possessions with scores. And Cam and McHale each had a bucket in between those possessions, but they were unable to finish it. And they really did go shot for shot with the Bucks' big three at the end of this game. But as I said before, the Bucks just made one more play. They just had that one more scoring option. They just had those more established guys, ability to get to the free throw line, do things a little bit easier. And the Nets finally got a stop down two with 30 seconds remaining. And Ben Simmons gets the rebound. He throws a beautiful get-ahead pass to Dorian Finney-Smith, who takes it in pump fakes and has more time than he realizes, but hesitates. And then Giannis is trailing with Bobby Portis and Dorian misses the layup and that really seals the game and you know the play was for Ben it was a beautiful pass and you know some people are arguing that you know you don't throw that pass to Dorian with the honest trailing in that spot Dorian's got to finish that I mean he had it he pump faked if you look at the film he had a point where Giannis stopped playing because he thought that Dorian was just going to dunk it but then Dorian hesitated because he didn't realize how close or far away Giannis was from him then he challenges it and he misses it so great play by Simmons and as I said the Bucks. Just even though McHale and Cam were able to go shot for shot with them for a duration, a portion of this fourth quarter, they just made one more play. And the Nets are a team that due to their defensive versatility, once Claxton and some other guys come back, their shot making, their pace, their three point shooting, their depth, one of the deepest teams in the league. They're going to be in a lot of games this season, a lot of tight games, even against good teams like the Celtics and the Bucks. But you have guys in Cam Thomas and Mikhail Bridges who, while growing, are still gaining their footing as closers in clutch moments. So I have a feeling that you may be hearing a lot, they just made one more shot, the other team. And that was the case in this one. But just Cam McHale finishing it up, you can't really come away more encouraged from these two. They're two guys who are scoring at an elite level, who are feeding off of each other. It's a new lead scoring duo emerging for the Nets, and they don't even have their three-point shot going. So there's room to go up and room to grow from here. And I think the ability of both of those guys to score in the mid-range, the ability of them to get to the basket, to draw fouls, once that three-point shot starts falling, it's really going to be a positive development for the Nets moving forward. For a team that a lot of people had questions about their shot creation in the half-court Moving on down the roster, Ben Simmons, two points, 15 rebounds, four assists, one of three from the field, zero trips to the free throw line. And Ben's rebounding was very big in this game. He's at 10.8 rebounds per game now through six appearances. That's 11th in the NBA. The Nets are keeping pace, as I said before, without Nick Claxton and Cam Johnson, two of the bigger players in their starting five. They have, what did I say? They are at sixth in defensive rebounding percentage in the entire league. That's after ranking 28th last season. And the Nets are doing this without Claxton. And I think Simmons' rebounding, Simmons' activity, his you know aggressiveness to attack the boards, to put a body on some bigger guys, whether it be an Anatokounmpo, a Lopez, a Bobby Portis, it's really big. And, you know, I wanted to preface with that because that was a big part of this game. But then outside of that, offensively, it was really a quiet night. And defensively, I mean, Giannis had 36 points on 17 of 28 shooting in this game. So Ben did what he could on defense, but 
he did not do that much to slow Giannis down, and nobody is. I mean, that's why he's a top three player in the league. But that's increasingly a little bit difficult when Ben's not doing that much on offense, and the calling card for him in this game was maybe him being able to be a body who could make things difficult for Giannis. And while he did it on certain possessions – down the stretch of this game, Giannis was really having his way with the Nets. So that's difficult. And then just talking about the offensive end of the floor for Ben, this wasn't a game where he was set up for success offensively because you have Giannis and Brooke Lopez, two of the best defenders in the league, patrolling the paint. But again, you know, I've said this in past games, past podcasts, and I'm not harping on it for no reason. I'll acknowledge that Ben is rebounding the ball at a high level and he's doing things, but particularly in this game, the passivity was pretty glaring again offensively. And offense wasn't the issue for the Nets in this game, obviously. They scored 125 points. They were right there with them. But I'm more so touching on this as a looking forward to what this team potentially could be and potential issues that they could face in future matchups down the line. And Ben in this game, it was it was glaringly evident that he did not want to shoot the ball and he does not want to go to the free throw line. I mean, that is a clear theme throughout the entire net season. I mean, let me pull up the stats right here. Ben, you know, he's shooting less than he did last season, which he's doing a lot of other things. Great. So that's fine. You know, he's passing the ball. The nets are second in the league in fast break points at 21 per game. That's a large product of Ben pushing the pace and generating shots for his teammates. But there's going to be points where the Nets are going to need him to do something offensively if they're going to be successful. It's going to be very difficult down the stretch of games to have a player who clearly does not want to shoot and does not want to have the ball in his hands. Ben is at six field goal attempts per game. He's at 0.7 free throws per game. Ben has made Ben's made one free throw through six games this season. I mean, at 6'10", 240 pounds. That's a little bit of a problem. I'm not saying this to say that he hasn't done other great things offensively. He absolutely has. He's one of the main reasons that the Nets have the sixth-ranked offense in the league. So I'm not saying this stuff to criticize Ben. I'm not saying this stuff to say that he's not a good player. He's undoubtedly and unquestionably one of the Nets' best players. But I'm saying this because if he were just to do these things, if he were just to show a willingness to attack, if he were just to show a willingness to go to the free throw line to get more comfortable doing these things, the Nets have a whole nother ceiling that they could reach. And the fact that Ben's not doing this stuff is, you know, it's a little concerning and it's a problem no matter what way you slice it. I mean, people are going to get mad at me, but I don't know how you could watch Ben at certain possessions in this game and not say that he's still having a little bit of a mental issue. He had a, a play where he got the ball right under the basket. Brooke Lopez was trailing him, but he had the ability clearly to go up for a lefty layup. He didn't do it. He had another play where he got the ball on a floater, got the ball in the short roll, and he put up like a weird floater where he was stepping on like one leg and looked like he almost like his leg gave out and he didn't know what to do. So there's a clear still a mental block. And we were told all of last season that that mental block was a product of his injuries, that his back wasn't right, that he got better. He looks much better this year. And he does look better physically this year, but we're still seeing the same hesitance offensively. And I think that this game was a good example of how that can kind of take him out of a game because he, like I said, you know, the assist, he had four assists in this game. He pushed the pace and I think got two of those in the first two minutes of the game, generating some open threes. But after that, Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges were dominating the ball, which was the strategy because the Nets wanted against this Bucks, you know, who are in a deep drop coverage. Jock Vaughn talked about it postgame, wanted them to get the ball and go in and get their looks, which they did. And they dominated. And again, offense wasn't the issue. But there's points like in this game where Ben is a guy who we've talked about, you know, like Spencer Dinwiddie saying, this team is going to go as far as Ben Simmons and Mikhail Bridges take it. I've said 
you know, previously that Ben's name might need to be replaced by Cam Thomas, given Cam scoring 45 points against one of the best teams in the league in this game. But for a guy in Ben Simmons, who we've heard all-star talk about, who we've heard, you know, the team's going to go as far as he goes. He really was not much of a factor in this game. His rebounding was great, as I said, but other than that, you know, offensively, he was an afterthought. He didn't do much of anything. The fast break game wasn't, you know, they scored 20 fast break points, but I wouldn't say that that was really as much of a product of Simmons as it was them really pushing the ball, getting it to Mikhail, getting it to Cam, getting it to other guys. So, you know, Ben's playing well this season. He is, but I do think that it's concerning that he still has this mental block offensively. And I think it's going to get to a point where, Basically, just my whole take on it is when you have a player who's clearly scared and doesn't want the ball down the stretch of games, eventually that's going to come back to bite you. That's that's the way I look at it. If you disagree, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But if we're talking about getting into games against good teams late in the season, getting potentially even into the Nets, trying to make the playoffs or in the playoffs, I don't know where that leaves Ben if this is where his head's at offensively. So sure, he's going to push the pace. He's going to play great defense. He's going to create shots for his teammates. He's going to rebound. He's going to do all of those things. But when we get down the stretch of games, I don't know where we're going to go from here, especially once Nick Claxton gets back. And, you know, I talked about the Bucs just making one more shot. And I think I tweeted this out, you know, at the very end of the game, that one of my main thoughts down the stretch of this game was, the Nets really could have used Nick Claxton in this game and his absence really loomed large because he's just another guy who has the size, the length, the physicality to alter the shots of a guy like a Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I thought that his absence was really big. And I was just found myself thinking that if Nick Claxton is available in this game, how were those lineups going to work out? Because sure, like Ben, his defense theoretically is good, but he's having a tough time with Giannis. He's having a tough guy with time with other games, you know, I would think that down the stretch of this game, if Nick Claxton is available, the Nets are probably closing with Nick and Ben's off the floor. And then that goes back to the conversation that I had on my last podcast with Billy Reinhardt. And I think is a common conversation in, you know, within the Nets community right now is how is this going to work once Ben and Nick come back? Who's going to be closing games? Because once Nick comes back, I think they're both going to start. And then I think they're going to stagger him for a majority of the game. So they'll start, they'll play X number of minutes. One of them will get pulled and then they'll stagger, stagger from there on out. But the real question is who's closing games. And I think in a game like this, it's, I think it was fairly obvious to me that it would be Nick Claxton. So it's, it's kind of a push and pull. There's kind of a lot going into that, but you know, Ben's there's there's still something missing there offensively. And this is a guy that we've heard about heading into the season, about his improvement, and all these things, and people talking about him potentially pushing for all-star appearances. He needs to sort this out offensively before we're gonna get there. And you know, I'm gonna leave it at that. But you know, not Simmons' best game, but still made an impact as a rebounder and has still been one of the Nets better players heading into the season. Just you would hope that he can figure this out offensively so that the Nets can reach another ceiling and level of team that they hope to be. Moving on, Spencer Dimwitty really didn't play much of a role in this one. Three points, three three rebounds, three assists, one of four from the field, only played 24 minutes. And, you know, I'm really finding myself interested in the Spencer Dimwitty experience early on. And it's really fun found myself interested during this game yesterday as I'm watching him sit on the bench for the entire fourth quarter. And Cam Thomas is the guy that is getting the ball and the shots are going to him in the final minutes of just thinking, where are we going with this? Because this is a pretty interesting development of Spencer is losing minutes to a guy like Cam Thomas, who's much younger. And, 
you know, it's not a bad start to this year by any means, it, you know, for Dinwiddie. It's been a good start. I mean, for the season, he's at 11 points, 5.3 assists, 47% from the field, 44% from three on 5.3 attempts per game. So he's had some games where he's been very good. And I think Spencer still is a very good player, but I think the nature of it is pretty interesting. Like it's very sporadic. We're seeing some games where Dinwiddie really has it going from three, where he has some increased ball handling responsibilities and he's scoring 20 plus games. And then we see other games where he's in single digits and it's almost like it's just this alternating of his role and what is it going to be? So with a guy like Cam Thomas emerging, it's going to be interesting to see is Spencer satisfied with this role? He's 30 years old. He's in a contract year. Do the Nets potentially look to move on from him as we get closer to the trade deadline as Cam Thomas's role continues to grow? Because as I said, we're going to get Nick Claxton back. We're going to get Cam Johnson back. There's not going to be more minutes to go around. There's going to be less minutes to go around. And there's already people like Cam and even Alani Walker on off the bench who are eating into uh, Spencer's minutes. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Jock Vaughn balances that. I know the Nets really like Spencer. They like what he brings to the floor in terms of poise, slowing down the game, what he brings to the locker room as a veteran. But a guy in a contract year who is 30 years old, a little bit older than the rest of the Nets nucleus, and I think would be of value to a decent amount of teams around the league because he's shown that when he gets the opportunity and when he gets the sample size that he can be a very productive player, you know, with or without the ball in his hands, but particularly if you let him run a second unit, the way that he did with Dallas can be a good player. So, you know, a quiet game from Spencer, one of several this year mixed in between some loud performances. So I think a storyline and something to monitor moving forward is Spencer's role. Is he happy with that? What does Jock Vaughn have to say about that? I'll be sure to ask him about it. And how can that factor in with, are the Nets going to hold on to a guy like Spencer past the trade deadline and try to extend him? Or are they looking to recoup, recoup value for one of their older players? Another one of the Nets veteran players, Dorian Finney-Smith, their last starter, only seven points tonight, six rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block, struggled from the field, three of 12, struggled from three, one of seven. And, you know, it was Dorian's, I'd say, first off game of the year. He's been arguably a top two or three player on the Nets leading into the season. And me, like a schmuck before the game i write about dorian's impact as a small ball center and what he's done and how he's shooting a blistering i think the word i used was uh, near 50 percent from three he's driving the basketball he's converting at a, a career best rate there then he goes one for seven from three and he misses a layup on the biggest play of the game for the net so i don't know call me mush but you know, Dorian was due for regression. So I'm not surprised while I was writing that. I was very aware that this is the game that maybe it could hit because he's just been unconscious from three. As I said, he's at 50% on 7.5 attempts per game. So it's the law of averages. He's going to regress to the mean, and it happened in this game. And, you know, unfortunate play on that beautiful pass from Simmons at the end of the game. But, you know, it's it happens. And Dorian has been one of the best players from the Nets this, this season. And I think that will continue. Just had an off shooting night. Moving on, and I was talking about guys that were cutting into Spencer Dinwiddie's minutes, and Lonnie Walker has been one of those guys, and he continues to be just brilliant. He had 19 points, four rebounds, two assists, eight of 14 from the field, three of seven from three. And Lonnie, I tweeted this out during the game, I don't think you could have scripted a better start to the season for a guy like Lonnie Walker, a minimum signing who for the season is at 15.5 points, 2.3 assists, 52.4% from the field and 43.3% from three. He is playing extremely high level basketball. He looks like a starter. I just tweeted recently that 
He has to be the most productive minimum signing in the NBA right now. And it's definitely not crazy to call him a way too early sixth man of the year candidate. And I was high on Lonnie coming into this season. I didn't know how the Nets got him for the minimum after what he did in the playoffs, particularly in that game four against the Lakers, scoring 15 points in the fourth quarter. His scoring ability, his poise, I just think that those are things that aren't easy to find in the NBA, especially in a playoff setting and him showing that. I was surprised the Nets got him for the minimum, but they did. And boy, I mean, what a signing does it look like for Sean Marks? Because Lonnie, as I touched on with Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas and why they're so encouraging is they're three level scorers and shot creators in the half court. And that's, you know, it's not always an easy thing to find in the NBA. Now you have a guy like Lonnie Walker, who's on a minimum signing and coming in off the bench and is really a true three-level scoring threat. As I said, he's shooting 43% from three on five attempts per game. He can score from the mid-range. We saw him toast the, the Bucks drop coverage, kind of snaking into the pick and roll and pulling up. We saw him attack Brooke Lopez and other elite rim protectors and finish at the rim, and he's been doing it all year. He's also been distributing. So, I mean, Lonnie's a guy who, if he's going to be playing like this, I, unless the Nets have a long-term plan for a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, he's just going to continue to eat into his minutes because he's been so good to the point where there's really no justification for taking him off the floor and not playing him 20 plus minutes per game. I mean, I had this up before. Let me pull this up real quick because his numbers are just um, incredible. He's at per 36 minutes. Lonnie is at 26 points and he's at, 26 points, four assists, as I said, 52% shooting, 43 from three. So, I mean, it's it's very high-level basketball right now. A guy who can provide a scoring punch, who's engaged on defense, that was kind of a criticism of him his last year with the Lakers, and I can't see his role shrinking if he's going to play like this. He also hit two big shots in the fourth quarter, did not see any shots really or didn't hit any shots in the third quarter, early in the fourth, and then the final seven minutes, from I think the seven-minute mark to the four-minute mark, he hits a three and a big mid-range, tough, contested jumper for the net. So a guy who's not afraid – who comes in, who's decisive, who knows his role and is really producing at a high level for the Nets. So really adding to the incredible depth that this team already has. And that's really going to be interesting in terms of how minutes play out once a guy like Cam Johnson and also Nick Claxton are back in the lineup. Finishing it out, Royce O'Neal, 12 points, nine rebounds, three assists, four of seven from three. Really nice performance coming off of a very, very poor performance. I think Royce was 2 of 13 or 2 of 15 against the Celtics. It was one of the worst games that you've seen from him in a while. And he comes out and he's 4 of 7 from 3, hit two of those in the fourth quarter. Had a couple of really nice defensive possessions on Giannis where he actually had one where Giannis went to the basket and looked like he was going to throw down a huge dunk. And Royce kind of, as he cocked it back, Royce got him from behind and then stole it. And then the Nets went the other way for a basket. So, Really impressive stuff from Royce and a guy who I think it says something about him of being able to come off of a two for 13 or 15 or whatever it was performance and being able to shoot like this, being able to have this confidence. And Jock was actually asked about Royce pregame and said that he's a guy that I just have supreme trust in to do things, whether it's to score the basketball from shooting threes, whether it's to run the floor and transition defensively, whether it's to guard up, switch on the perimeter, scram switch on the back end, whether it's to put a body on people and rebound the basketball. He has trust in him to do all those things. So an encouraging performance from Royce and 
a deep Nets team. And I think that what was one of the most impressive things about this game from the Milwaukee end is that the Nets have a good bench and their bench did not play bad in this game. I mean, as I said, you have Royce O'Neal, two guys and Lonnie Walker, I think combined for a seven for 14 from three scored 30 something points. And, you know, Milwaukee's bench really just came and matched them. They scored 50 points and they shot the lights out. They were 11 of 21 from three in this game. And that was a big difference in the game because Jock Vaughn said it, post game that he was leaning into the net starters a little bit more guys like cam thomas mikhail bridges might have gotten a little tired down the stretch from milwaukee's guys were a little more fresh because of what they were supposed to what the uh, bench was able to do so you know definitely a theme and probably the first game this season that the nets bench has been outplayed and i don't think that that's a that's not saying anything or criticizing anything or pointing out any deficiencies from the nets bench it's just more a testament and a tip of the cap to how good milwaukee's bench was with guys like uh, Bobby Portis campaign, Pat Connaughton, Jay Crowder was four of nine from three. So, you know, you tip your cap to them and just closing it out, talking about this game and how it played out when, you know, the Bucks aren't a team that has their stride. They haven't caught their stride or really aren't, you know, in sync yet with all the new faces that are coming into the mix, but still a team that's one of the most talented teams in the league is going to be a fixture in the title conversation. They were healthy compared to a Nets team that was not healthy without Cam Johnson and Nick Claxton. And you look at the box score of this game and it was extremely even. I mean, the shots were even. The Nets actually took five more shots in this game. Milwaukee shot 48%. The Nets shot 48% on nearly the same amount of shots. They were, Bucks were 16 to 48 from three. The Nets were 16 to 45 from three. They were both getting their shots up there and pushing the pace. The rebounding, the Bucs got one more offensive rebound. They won the rebound overall rebounding battle by one, which is incredible given the fact that the Nets don't have Nick Claxton in this game and are playing almost the entirety of the game with a small ball lineup. And, you know, there was one possession where the Bucs got two, I think, two offensive rebounds and tap outs, and Giannis got to take back-to-back threes with the Bucs down three with around four minutes remaining, and he hit the second one. So that's an example of where being small can hurt you on a pivotal play like that. But – you're looking at the box score. The Nets were even in the rebounding battle on this one. The assists were even. Uh, Bucks had four more, but very close. The turnovers, the Bucks had two more turnovers than the Nets in this one. The Nets doubled them up in fast break points. And I think you're really looking for a difference in where this game lied. I think it was down the stretch of the game. The Nets finished 11 for 13 from the free throw line. The Bucks were 21 for 24 from the free throw line. And I think that really showed in the fourth quarter with Giannis, with Middleton, Dame, even a guy like Lopez, these guys' ability to attack the paint, to press the issue, to bully the Nets down low and get to the free throw line. And the Nets actually held them well under their season average for three for, for free throws, but they were able to get to the line and the Nets were not able to get to the line as much with some smaller guys attacking the paint and attacking those elite rim protectors. But I'm saying all of this just to point out the fact that the Nets played a very even game. With check cereals, 12 days of surprises. But I'm saying all of this just to point out the fact that the Nets played very evenly. This was pretty much a coin flip game down the stretch, as a lot, I think, are going to be. But this was against one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference that has elite firepower. They played a very tight game for, I'd say, three and a half quarters against the league-leading Celtics without two of their starters. So hard not to come away from this encouraged and the Nets are going to at a certain point it's going to go from being encouraged to the Nets are going to have to close out some of these games if they want to threaten and get into the playoff race and it's not getting any easier they have the Clippers coming to town on Wednesday and then they go to Boston Friday night for a nationally televised game there so some good more tests coming up 
for the Nets and a team that I think is playing very good basketball. Now the next question is, are they going to be able to close these games out against these high-level teams? But a very encouraging start to the season. And I think that you, it would, even though a loss and one that you would like to see the Nets close out, I think it was difficult to not come away from these last two games feeling positive about the direction that this team is headed. So that does it for this episode of Believe in Nets on the Believe Podcast Network your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. Make sure to subscribe on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, um, Spotify, at Believe in Nets. Uh, Leave a review, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button if you enjoyed what you saw. I am Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. You can find all of my work on ClutchPoints.com. Also, news, updates, analysis, nonstop at my Twitter, at Eric Slater underscore. Two more games against high-level teams coming up. Be excited to see if the Nets can hang tight and even close them out. I'll have more coverage for it soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 